Hello, and welcome to the Reorient Podcast, the show about international issues and international people with an Asian twist. My name is Jesse Friedlander. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Reorient Podcast. This is Jesse Friedlander. Today in the um, North America region, it's 20th of July, 2022. And I'm pleased today to have uh, introduce you to a new event for Reorient, which is having a repeat guest. Uh, in this case, it's uh, someone who's has expertise that's very relevant to what's happening in the Asia region. And I think uh, people around the world um, are looking at Sri Lanka. And our guest, uh, repeat guest, is Mr. Kumudu Gunasekera, who uh, was on the show in November 28th. And we have him uh, live from uh, Colombo, Sri Lanka, to discuss the political, social, economic situation in Sri Lanka that is now front page news. So, Kumudu, welcome back. Thanks. Thanks, Jesse. Glad to be back. <laughs> I look forward to the discussion. Great. Well, I, I'm really uh, thankful that you're uh, joining us again. And, and I, so many people, including myself, are interested in what's happening in, in Sri Lanka. You know, we've seen uh, basically a collapse in the government. We've seen uh, large social unrest. We've seen uh, default on the debt. Um, many of these issues we discussed back in last November. Um, but it's very hard uh, to parse through everything and understand what the real situation is. So could I ask you just to, if you could... Um, briefly explain how Sri Lanka got to where it is today and what exactly is the situation uh, as of today? Sure, Jesse. So uh, I think you pointed out that it's, uh, if you look at the crux of the issue, it's really started with a governance issue, uh, which led to an economic issue, which led to a social issue. Uh, so, and the governance issue started really many, I'd say, you know, about a decade ago, uh, ever since the end of the war, we started borrowing um, a lot of uh, uh, capital from, from, from various lenders. Um, the, it was okay, the, the, the borrowing was sustainable for a while, uh, but when we, when in uh, about five years ago, uh, Sri Lanka reached a certain threshold, an economic threshold, which we became a middle-income, categorized as a mid-income country. As soon as that happened, we lost access to low-cost capital. So the, the multilateral agencies and the G2G financing was not available. As a result, we went into uh, the private markets. So we, we had ISBs um, that uh, uh, the bonds were issued. Uh, and, you know, we be borrowing at commercial rates. So our spending habits, government spending habits were uh, developed based on low-cost financing. When the low-cost financing went away, our spending habits remained the same with high-cost financing. So that that was one of the, uh, the issues. Uh, the other issue was there was, I mentioned that it's really a governance related issue, uh, especially over the last two and a half to three years with all of the, you know, the, the high cost debt that we were accumulating, we made a series of um, policy blunders 
uh, governance related blunders which which uh, really accentuated this this problem we had uh, you know from a fiscal perspective we reduced is unexplained why we did it but we reduced taxes uh, so government spending kept going up but government revenue just went away and not only did we reduce taxes we reduced mechanisms which we were getting uh, you know there was the thing called a payee tax where you basically pay from uh, your, uh, you know you from your paycheck so it's an automatic deduction that was taken away and you the you know the government said hey you guys as an individual employees have to pay every quarter you know file and pay as a result nobody actually paid those taxes so not only did we reduce taxes we also took away guaranteed forms of uh, tax revenue that was coming into sri lanka we made you know uh, mistakes such as banning all fertilizer chemical fertilizer and trying to go to organic fertilizer that was another blunder uh, so there was a series of such blunders and the biggest blunder was uh, we uh, actually before i get to the biggest blunder maybe it's important to also note there was the uh, the policy blunder or the bad governance but then there was also the external shocks that happened so sri lanka unfortunately went through more external shocks than most other nations because in 2018 2019 we had uh, the easter attacks which we talked about just you and i were talking at the last time we spoke about it that was kind of the biggest uh, one of the biggest issues uh, which reduced our you know tourism is uh, a significant contributor to our gdp that went away in 2018 2019 because of the easter bombings uh then 2020 2021 we the whole world faced covid and then the recent right. crisis so all of those external shocks also contributed to this rebellion so just to be you know um i guess blunt the final straw that sort of pushed um former um your know, president rajapaksa out of office i think he fled is we had people on the streets we had protests um there was supply shortages at least from what i read of petrol i'm sure of other goods the government ran out of money uh, so presumably it couldn't pay for a lot of uh, daily necessities so uh, the there really is sort of a um um that the people were pushed to the brink it wasn't about um we're upset about corruption or bad governance but it's actually the governance issues that you mentioned impacting the ability of people to survive is that fair statement yeah it's a fair statement and, and that is why the people uh, and, and this just is an important point i think most of the media is not covering this that this was an amazing example that i mean the positives of it is an amazing example of democracy at work because 2 years ago the sri lankan people elected a government with more than a 70% majority voting you know democratically elected first as a president and then uh, and a, uh, there was a second election for parliament both elections they won hands down the uh, uh, this uh, the, the, the the what's called the SLPP party in 2 years because of their bad governance people started protesting and these protests really started about 100 days ago so about three to four months ago and it started with 
really uh, you know the uh, upper middle income uh, folks going into streets with candles and doing candlelight vigils that's how it started and then that kind of kept you know situation got worse and worse with uh, essentials like fuel and gas and what uh, other elements not been available this morphed into a large movement and which is called the uh, aragale in, in 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 the local language in singhala which is what's called the struggle uh, direct uh, translation and and that struggle really brought about a change uh, systematically first the prime minister who was elected with a two thirds majority was was uh, removed Demo- uh, you know was asked to resign and then the president uh, two months later were also went through this whole re- so with this whole um, struggle it was really a a a peaceful struggle that happened so we see isolated incidences but if you look at the number of you know deaths and casualties that that happened it's far less than for example you know what happened you know the storming of the the capital uh, uh, in, in the us so it's it, it, it's it, in that sense it's a remarkable um, uh, movement that really uh, one day it'll be a case study in how and now we don't know how it'll you know pan out in the next mm. next two years it could uh, because we just had uh, I'm, i'm sure you'll get to it we just had uh, election of a yeah i was going to get to that uh, but just before because uh, i think you highlighted something that really is not being communicated by the media which is sort of this peaceful democratic nature of the of the protests and that the government's responding to that so which is what you'd want from a democracy so it's a uh, rep- it's it's a it's emblematic of a well functioning democracy and that's really uh, important to note a second thing that i think the media has been focused on and i'm guess i know your answer but uh, you know they sort of focus on this idea of a family dynasty and a corrupt family the rajapaksa family and and that maybe they inherited power because of the role in the civil war um you just mentioned that this government had been democratically elected by a large majority only uh, two two to three years ago so is it fair to cast it as uh, some sort of a family enterprise that you know uh, that was what went wrong and led to um the the corrupt activities or or is it something else uh no absolutely i mean there was i mean while it was democratically elected it was the, the people democratically in a fair election elected a family to rule and oh, okay. when the when was it then that election took place everybody knew this family is going to rule it's not like suddenly the family came about so in in many sense it was a people's choice now you and i you may disagree on the choice but that was a choice that and that's that's i guess democracy right yes um, and and to me the biggest uh, thing is that such a powerful family with such a powerful mandate that they came in within a short period of 2 years everybody in that family is out of uh, powerful positions now they're yes. still in the pa- parliament because they are elected as members of parliament uh, but they are not in the cabinet right now and uh, as at, at least as of now you know we don't know if the new cabinet they will they'll come back or not 
Okay, so that's let's segue then just to today because the ruling party, and I'm just curious, you know, if, if they're going to stay in power uh, given the things. But they, uh, the the ruling party, elected its new leader, right? Um, and I'll let you pronounce his name correctly because I don't yes. want to uh, yeah. abuse it. So, um, what does that portend for Sri Lanka over the next, uh, you know, few months to year? Yeah. So the parliament right now is made up of two thirds of the parliament is made up of SLPP, which is the Rajapaksa party. Uh, now that party uh, elected or they, they supported a lone MP member of parliament called Ranil Vikramasinghe. Now he was for the longest time, the opposition leader, he was a prime minister of Sri Lanka, uh, not, uh, not, as part of the Mahindra, the Rajapaksa governance scheme, but against the Rajapaksa governance scheme. Uh, but this guy was always my uh, the, the current president, Ranil Vikramasinghe, or currently elected president, was always um, you know. So, so what the, what the what the SLPP did was they kind of said we are going to back him to be the president. Now the opponents of uh, SLPP and the current president say Ranil Vikramasinghe all along kind of helped safeguard the Rajapaksa brand and the Rajapaksa family. So that's that that is a criticism that is that is laid out against him. But having all, said all of that, um, Ranil Vikramasinghe is, is the currently elected president is considered to be a, a technocrat who who's really understands. The, uh, the economic dynamics at play uh, and also has very good relations globally. It so, should be noted, I mean, he has been in politics uh, since the 1970s, so he clearly yes. knows the ins yes. and outs of the country and his political system. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. So he's, he's been around. Um, uh, the people may have wanted... Uh, outside parliament may have wanted a different direction, but you know, inside parliament there is a there is a there is a democratic process, and at the end of the day, the democratic process worked, uh, and 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 uh, Ranil Vikramasinghe was uh, elected. Uh, I, I I think if you look at the next two years, there is another two years of uh, this particular term remaining because he's taking over. Uh, the remaining term of the president that resigned. So there's about two year, two and a few months uh, uh, remaining. Uh, I think during that time, there's, uh, it's the, the interest of both Ranil Vikramasinghe and the SLPP to really focus on mitigating some of the bad governance decisions that were taken and uh, helping Sri Lanka develop because there's going to be an election and they're going to be, you know, they're going to be only even considered for election, re-election if, if things change. Okay. So um, I think it's fair to say that, you know, in our, in our conversation in November, um, you, um, you were relatively positive on Sri Lanka. I mean, we should make it clear you were born and raised there. <laughs> you, you have lots of business interests there. You, you, you know, your business is there. So you know the country very well. You're not speaking as to someone uh, observing from afar. You were uh, 
fairly optimistic about Sri Lanka, very positive. I'm just wondering the uh, cascading of events over the last few months, uh, had that surprised you? And perhaps, you know, if you're painting it not as a negative, but a positive that we needed to go through this to actually change the governance and policy, then you could obviously say, well, this is a positive thing in the long term. So I'm just curious how you would characterize and what emotions and, and thoughts you've had over the last few months watching it. Yeah, no, I must say the economic problem is not a big, big one. It's about $35 billion, which is, you know, know, most of my clients have larger balance sheets than that. So it's not a, when you contextualize it, it's not a big problem, the economic problem. And the economic problem, um, if there is political stability, the economic problem will get resolved in the next um, uh, you know, five to six months, things should stabilize. Now, I'm not saying it's going to be an easy ride. It's going to be a very tough ride for the next uh, six months. Just on, on that, uh, just to interrupt, and then you can go past the economic, but what are sort of the key, um, uh, the key actions uh, or changes that you see that will resolve that economic problems over the next six months? Yeah, so if you take this, you know, the biggest action is to get the IMF package negotiated and and, and and signed. Now, we are in the midst of it. Uh, the staff level agreement, uh, which is uh, which the, the IMF team was down in Sri Lanka and, and, and we are close to signing that. Uh, it is scheduled to be signed. The anticipation is it will get signed in the month of July, towards the end of July. Uh, that is a staff level agreement. Once the staff level agreement is signed, we need to restructure the debt. So talk to our creditors and restructure the debt. We've hired uh, global renowned consulting firms to negotiate on our behalf. That process and uh, that process is uh, supposed to take about two months. So if you t- take count from you know August September would t- you know that probably August September October that process will take place. The discussions with creditors, especially the G two G creditors, have already begun and some soft agreements have been made um, in terms of certain criteria on how to get a haircut and whatnot. The, once that debt restructure, and that's paramount, without a debt restructure, IMF uh, package won't be uh, finalized. And with, just to be clear, without that, then you're going to struggle, the country will struggle to get other creditors to come in and, and lend, correct? Yeah. Yes, mm-hmm. exactly. So once the debt restructure plan is in place, then the IMF uh, package will be um, uh, signed, uh, or the board of directors of IMF will po- hopefully uh, uh, approve it. And that process, what what is anticipated, is going to take from today about a five-month process. Uh, now that's the IMF. That's number one. You, you ask how how what are the key elements? Number two, second element is we need to uh, bring back some of the. Uh, reverse some of the bad policies that were in place, the tax policies, the fertilizer issue, which which the fertilizer issue is now reversed. But there are other series of economic policy decisions that have to be made, which are tough decisions. Uh, now we'll have to go beyond what we had. So we have a, a, a large state sector. Uh, we have a lot of state-owned enterprises which are not making um, uh, uh, which are loss making. So how do you 
make them uh, profitable. Um, so there's a lot of those hard um, uh, economic policy issues that need to get addressed uh, in the next six months as well. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this portion of the podcast. To access the entire podcast and more high-quality analysis on Asia, please visit our website, reorientpodcast.com. That's one word, all lower caps, reorientpodcast.com.